I interviewed a guy called Jerry McNamara, and for 25 years, Jerry's fearlessly positive approach to business led to massive success. In fact, when I interviewed him, he shared with me the fact that he's actually led five companies in five different industries, in the B2B and B2C, in both products and services. Now, Jerry's organizations have actually won various awards over time, and he runs an organization called Proven Chaos. It's a company driven to help CEOs create compelling companies that outperform and still make it home for dinner. Now, Jerry and I talked about various things. One of the questions that came up was, are you a leader worth following? And it's a fantastic question, and one that you probably should ask yourself on a regular basis if you are a leader worth following. We also talked about the importance of building world-class relationships and not just to have a relationship and build it a little bit, but to actually have world-class ones and how important that is. We discussed the alignment of purpose about what you're doing and why you're doing things and also about investing in yourself. What's quite interesting is that many people wait for their organizations to invest in them. Don't wait. Take control and invest in yourself. By listening to this podcast, you're well on the way to actually investing in yourself because that's what this is all about. It's about how we can develop you, how you can develop yourself to go to new levels and have fun while you're doing it at the same time. So it was a great interview. What I suggest was we sit back, relax and enjoy the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Jerry McNamara. Jerry, a massive welcome to you. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Super excited. Excellent. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? Today, I am in Jacksonville, Florida. We live about five blocks from the beach, so it's a, a wonderful gift to go down and see the waves almost every day. Florida, what an awesome place. Yeah. I've been there a couple of times, been to West Palm Beach, I've been to Orlando, great place. Well, um, it's a, and it's a little chilly here today. I think it's only going to make it to 72. So uh, I had to put my wool so- socks on this morning. Your wool socks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if they're wool socks from New Zealand. <laughs> I don't know, but they are nice and warm and comfy. That'd be nice. Yeah, very good. Hey, Jerry, I've given the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you, but... Uh, want to share a little bit more about your background. Tell us some more about yourself. Yeah. So Dennis, I have been super lucky to be in the right place at the right time over the course of my career. And I've run five businesses in five different industries. I've sold them in B2B environments, B2C environments. I've sold products and I've sold services. And I've been lucky because I've done it with the right place, right people in the right places. And so companies I've run have made the Franchise 500, the Inc. 500, and also the best places to work. And I think that's just a testament to say the business principles of leadership are the same no matter what industry you're in. That's what I've learned, that leading people is the same no matter what industry you're in. And so, um, you know, my goal in the second half of my career is to positively impact 5 million people over the next five years through better business, because 
I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone who showed up to work and said, you know what? I really want to suck today. And yet there are plenty of people who are incredibly ineffective and it's not their fault. And so yeah. my goal is to work with senior leaders to create compelling companies because compelling companies always outperform. And really the trick is to make sure not only that they're running a successful company outwardly, but they are fulfilled by their work inwardly because success without fulfillment is the greatest ripoff. And I'm sure you've heard this too. People say, oh yeah, I've done all these wonderful things, but I don't even make it home to have dinner with my family. And so, yeah. you know, why, why make that pursuit? So that that's a little bit about me. Oh, awesome. And, and, you know, I think you're right. I think people don't wake up to go to work to, to fail or suck at it, but it's not their fault. Whose fault is it then? I mean, I wonder, I wonder what's going on for some people there as well. And, you know, you're right. They go home. They go home late. They wonder. The kids maybe wonder. Partner might wonder. Who's the person who's going to walk through the door right now? They're overwhelmed, stressed. They might be short with the family. And that's, you know, or sometimes I've actually heard people say to me that their kids turn around and said, we don't know who our dad is now. We don't is know it? who our mum is anymore. And it's actually very, very sad to hear it. But you know what? We can fix it. We can get it right. We can help people out with it as well. Amen. important. Amen. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, as I look at that, you know, if you are not good at work, you can't be great at home. And if you're not good at home, you can't be great at work. And so sometimes we try and separate the personal and from the professional. But my reality is that People are whole people. I can't separate those two things out. And great leaders embrace that. In fact, my first value is love your people and treat them as whole people. Because when you do that, magical things happen. Yeah. And I think it's the whole people piece, which is really important. The holistic side of things, right? The full person is really important. I actually do that with coaching when I'm working with coaches to help them understand about coaching or leaders. And that is when you look at somebody, you know, or listen to somebody, listen to the whole person, listen to everything that's going on, not just maybe what the words they might be sharing or their eyes or whatever's going on, the whole person's really important. It, it yeah. is. And, and I say this a lot, and I'm sure you find this in your own work, is if you aren't interested in your people, you probably should remain an individual contributor, right? Yep. And so when we think about high achievers and leaders and leadership, the people who get promoted are the ones who are great at doing the doing. It doesn't mean that they're great at leading people. And so they're ill-prepared in some cases to lead people or actually disillusioned. They don't want to lead people. They want to be the individual contributor. So we have to set people up for success to make sure that they are aligned and interested in actually leading, leading people and that they see that people are the path to success and not a hindrance to their own work. And it's one yeah. of those things that I think we get wrong inside businesses time and time again. And it's okay if you don't want to be a leader. I mean, just need to say so because I'd rather you say that you don't want to be the leader because... And, and then do a real bad job at it, and rather than you know, so and rather you go out, or rather you go off do something else that you're really good at or that you love to do. Jerry, I find that a lot of people fall into the role of leader uh, because they you know, turn around and they go, "Well, we need a leader." Oh, she'll do, or he'll do. Congratulations, you're now the lead, new leader. Good luck, and see you in twelve months' time in your performance review. And we don't set them up for success. Is what it? are your thoughts on you know organizations? So whether an organization is listening to this episode right now. Or listeners listening to it thinking, hey, I want to be a leader, or I am a leader today, but I want to go from a senior leader to a, to, to a C-suite or things like that. What do you think they should be thinking about or doing to help set themselves up for success? Well, so one of the, the, one of the things that I have found over the course of my career is we have to train people. 
not only for the role in which they're in, if it's a technical role to do the doing, but we also have to train the leaders. And, you know, I share this story. There was a, a survey by DDI, which is a leadership company, where they interviewed CEOs and they said, what percentage of your senior leadership team do you believe will deliver the results that have been set out for the company? And it was 48%, which I thought was shocking. And then I surveyed, you know, leaders that I'm involved with and they said, yeah, I I believe about half the people on my senior, senior leadership team can actually drive the results that we've set out. Now, the scary part of that, Dennis, is When you look at the people who are behind the C-suite or the senior leadership team, there's only 11% trust in those people to actually drive results. And yet only 5% of companies have fully implemented a leadership training program inside of their company. So I say this all the time. So leaders recognize it's a problem. They only believe in 50% of their senior leadership team, 11% of the people who are on the bench that are going to step into that. And yet we're not doing anything about it, anything meaningful. And so I think the thing that you can do, and as I think about my own ambitions, right, positively impact 5 million people over the next five years, I've had lots of fun, lots of success in my career, and yet my skills do not match my ambition yet. And so I am working harder today than I ever have in my career to level up my skills. And so as you work your way through that, I think sometimes people become disillusioned by the results that they, that they, that they earned, but they're not willing to do the work to level up their skills to enact a different result. And so I just say, like, what investments are you making in yourself? One of the questions I I love to ask people post-COVID is, what did you do with your time? We were all with our families. We had lots of time on our hands. What were the the books that you read? What were the podcasts that you listened to? Or Or did you watch, you know, Netflix? And I always find that to be a really interesting question because I believe learning organizations outperform. It's foundational belief of mine because they solve problems differently. So you want people inside your organization who are curious by nature because they're going to solve problems differently. And so that to me is the foundation of everything that I've done because I've been able to create success in five different industries. I've never been the technical leader. However, I've always been super curious. I'm a lifelong learner. And so that's the piece that I constantly give to whether it's new leaders or emerging leaders or leaders who are disillusioned with the results they're getting, what is it that you're doing to level up your skills to drive different results? So uh, that would be my answer. So listeners, what Jerry's just said is not that you have to up your skills before you go and go for your ambitions. No, what he's saying is what you need to do is whatever your ambition is, wherever you want to go, but you need to keep investing in yourself to grow your leadership skills capabilities and along with the experiences to help it it's never going to be perfect before you start you've got to start somewhere right and go for it but yeah i I like what jerry says here because i think that's really important and that word curious has been my word for the you know how some people come up with a word of the year and things like that sure well i come up with a few words of the year but that's been one that's been around for a few years for me because that's that is me too i like you jerry the word curious is big and it's brilliant but I also think that a lot of leaders aren't asking enough questions, which means they're not curious enough. And if they're yep. not curious enough, they're not going to get people to step up, contribute, or add value. They're just going to be an empty suit sitting in a seat. And that's not good enough. We don't want that. We want people to be really great in what they do. So I think it's really okay. important. So the investment, Jerry, I don't know. I'm not going to ask you a dollar-wise. I'm, I'm just going to share with myself about what, what I've done. I've spent thousands of dollars on myself investing in over the years and still to continue to do that today because we all need to do that and i think listeners if you're 
I'm not saying you have to go out and invest thousands of dollars in yourself. Well, maybe I am. But what I'm saying here is that as you do what, what Jerry's just said, invest in yourself. There's, there's two things that I'll offer, Dennis. One is, if you really think about it, the cheapest way that you can get to a better spot is to learn from other people, people who've already been there and done that. So I really like books and you know your, your listeners can't see it, but there are literally hundreds of books around me. Um, the record that I've had in one year is 65 books that I read. And so when you think about it, you could pay eight to $20 for a book and pull out life-changing wisdom that comes out of that book. And so that's a really inexpensive way to, to level up your knowledge. And the second, and I wrote about this on my, on my personal blog 10, 12 years ago, that my biggest mistake as a senior leader was that I didn't have a coach, a business mentor, or a business roundtable to help me to continue to level up what it, what it was that I was doing. And when you look at that, it's like the greatest advice I ever got was from my brother. He loved to party more than he loved to go to school. So he got kicked out of college, went into the Navy. And as he was leaving our room, because we shared a room growing up, he said to me, learn from my mistakes. I made them for you. And I thought that was a brilliant piece of advice. I don't have to make my own mistakes because everyone growing up, learn from your own mistakes. Well, he was like, no, just learn from my mistakes. You'll be way ahead. And so that led me to a place of being highly aware of everything that was going on around me to level up my skills. I didn't have to learn. And so, you know, growing up, I studied people like Gandhi and Latsu and every great thinker in time. And I could pull out through quotes, the smartest things, the best pieces of wisdom that they gave me. And so from a very young age, maybe 11 or 12, I started collecting quotes. So when you look at like investments in yourself, there's a million ways to do that. And I'm always just amazed at people who are disillusioned by their results. And when you ask them what investments they're making, they shrug their shoulders and say, well, why did you think you would get a better result? Well, like you haven't earned the right to be in the game to score the winning match, right? The winning goal in the match. Uh, do the work and good things happen behind it. Jerry, I love it. I've, the question I've got for you here is, is based on what you've just been sharing there. I think one thing that's really important for our listeners to understand is that those books like you shared that. 65 books, whatever, do just go and implement one of those things. One of those things that you've learned from it, right, will make a big difference as well. But if you've got 65 books and one from every book, that's 65 things, which is really massive. Question to you is, when they list reading a book, like the quotes you've been collecting, is it just you collect the quotes or do you do something with it? What, what do you do with it to make it relevant for you? Yeah. Something I've said for a long time is information without action is the greatest business sin. And <laughs> yeah. so... Right to know what is to know what to do and and to not do it is is the worst cowardice. Latsu said that, uh, and so I constantly am trying to synthesize. Interesting that point of view, that point of view, create these non-obvious connections because it's easy to create obvious connections. But hey, I'm going to triangulate this industry with this industry, and I heard Dennis say this really smart thing, and these three things come together, and here's the insight. I'm going to try this because. I think one of the things that we don't do really well as leaders inside companies is create environments where people are unafraid to fail, right? People are constantly afraid to fail. And so therefore you can't have innovation. You can't move things forward. So if you can create psychological safety for your people inside of your company and say, no, it's all a hypothesis. Business is one big science experiment. It's a hypothesis. And we think we'll put these resources on this opportunity. We'll get this result. That's right. And you know what? I wrote about this on LinkedIn a couple of months ago. 
you know, if you've ever thought, what were they thinking inside of your business? Let me tell you, because <laughs> I've been in the room and it's all made up. Everything that we do is all made up and it's all based around our previous experiences and asking good questions. And we're just trying to get to a place. But at the end of the day, if we gather all of this information and we don't implement it or don't take action on it, then to what end? Why did we do that? And, you know, my answer is, that's great. You should go become a professor because we need lots of those people who are super smart too. But if you're going to synthesize it and implement it, you should be a business executive. Yeah. Yeah. Really good points. Thank you. So listeners, I hope you're taking notes because this is really cool stuff that Jerry's sharing with us. And Jerry, you talked about five successful businesses, B2B, B2C. You've also been in like some other executive roles and so forth. How did you get actually into leadership? It's such a good question. I think Dennis is... I've always been that guy, like people have pointed back to. And, you know, my earliest memory of leading people was being the captain of my safety patrol in in fifth grade, right? And I mean, yep. um, I stood up, I gave a speech, and I would be the person to help lead our safety patrol. And yes, I was in charge of the, the uh, crossing guards. That's like one of my earliest memories. And so I've never known the distinction between not leading and being in leadership roles all the way through school, from captains of teams to president of student council, I've always just taken the responsibility of trying to bring out the best in other people just very seriously from a young age. I, I don't know you know, whether that's a nature or nurture thing, but for me, I think it was very clearly a nature thing. Mm. And you know how you said before about the word curiosity or being curious, were you curious as a kid as well when you're in that sort of position of maybe taking a leadership role there? Um, yes. In fact, tell this story and people laugh. While everyone else was reading comic books, I was under my blanket reading the dictionary. And so oh. I have always like up a closet nerd and, you know, now I don't have to be a closet nerd, but, you know, back, back before the internet, we, my family bought the world book encyclopedias. And so it was all of the volumes A to Z, and then you would get the yearbook every year. And I was just curious. I just loved to learn. So I would pull a volume down, I'd flip to an open page and I would learn about zebras one day and I'd learn about, you know, economics the next day. And to me, that was just fun. That was interesting. And it fed that curiosity. But yeah, I'm, I'm like, we had a show here in the US called Cheers and Cliff Clavin was uh. the mailman. And he knew a little bit about lots of different topics. And I'm that guy, I have lots of useless knowledge. But I have always been curious. And I, I would tell you, if it comes to, if someone said to me, what's the one thing that has been able to create your success? I would, I would say I'm a lifelong learner that I am just ah. so curious. It's why I've been able to go inside businesses and not know anything about it. In fact, I ran a construction business. We went from 7 million to 13 to 28 to 30 million. And when I was brought in by the owner, I said, the only thing I hammer is my keyboard. I am the least handy person you will ever meet in the world. Um, and yet, uh, if you want a business run really, really well, I can do that for you. And it uh, worked out pretty good. That's great. You know, so if you're not a construction guy and you've gone into that kind of organization, what's the key factor you use possibly on all five of the businesses and maybe other things as well? What have you done to actually turn them around or, or help them be successful? Um, build world-class relationships. Right. And so all of my work has been through people. It is, it is not me doing the work. I'm not doing the work. And so making sure that people have the tools, time, and training, to borrow the, the statement from my friend, Captain Rick Hoffman, tools, time, and training to be successful. 
And I used to walk around the building and say, do you have what you need to succeed? Right? Because the worst feeling that you can have as a person is you can have the responsibility to deliver a result without the authority or the, the tools that you need to do it. And that's a very horrible thing. And so for me, business is pretty simple. It's a trade of risk and reward. And it's about getting the right resources on the right opportunities. The question is, what resources and which opportunities? That's what you have to ferret out. And that can only be done by building those world-class relationships and asking lots and lots and lots of questions. Because as soon as you think you know better, that's when you get crushed. Yeah, great, great. That's it. Have the right people around you, build some world-class relationships. Excellent. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? And I would say Martin Luther King. And, you know, the three that I thought of, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King, all, all servant leaders. I'm a big believer yeah. in servant leadership and how do you lead the world a better place? I believe in the social compact that, you know, I'm only going to pass through this way one time. And so we make sure that I can leave the world a better place. Mm-hmm. I just admire the courage that MLK had to speak up in a world where black voices were marginalized, hatred happened, stood in the back of a bus and things that are unfathomable to me. Uh, and yet the courage was there. And so the question that I would ne- want to ask is where did the courage come from to stand up for what was clearly right, even though it wasn't accepted? Well, wow. so that would, that would be the question you would have wanted to ask him. That would be the question I'd want to ask him. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, really good. Very good. I wonder what the answer would be. There were, I mean, <laughs> there are so many leaders from history that I would love to ask questions like that. I mean, I think that's a brilliant question. And I wonder what he would say to you, Jerry. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think the other, the two questions I love to ask people that I think people should ask of each other is what is it you're learning that I should know? And who do you know that I should know? Right. Uh-huh. And, I just look at those are those two unlocks of, wow, I can amplify ex- exponentially because you ask that again and again, and suddenly your your universe of possibility is is very, very large. And, you know, again, it comes back to my brother's piece of advice, you know, learn from my mistakes. I made them for you. If you've already learned something, bring it on. Tell me what it is. That's good. Very good. Brothers, very good on them. Oh, leave the way to show us the things. Yeah, it's really good. Hey, um, the question I've got here is that the title of the show is called Leadership is Changing. Yeah. And when I mention that title or that quote, whatever you will, what does it mean for you? Well, I think we are definitely at an inflection point. I think if you start to really look, I think COVID has accelerated trends that were starting to happen. And, you know, when you look at things like the Edelman Trust Report, you know, people are no longer willing to be a transaction. They're looking for transformation. And so I'm no longer willing to trade a paycheck for my time. And when I look at compelling companies, you know, the role of the leader, we want to be really clear about the mission that we're on. We don't hire people. We invite people on missions because here's the impact that we're going to go make. And here are our values. Here's how we treat people. Here's how we treat each other. That's our operating system. And people want to enroll into a place where they feel really good about the work that they're doing, not only the impact, but how we do it every single day. And when we're missing on those marks as a leader, then you're missing the opportunity to truly build an amazing organization. And so, uh, you know, here in the U.S., I don't know what it looked like in New Zealand, but 
We've had 4 million people voluntarily resign every month since July 2021. And so you just stop and think about that. 4 million people every month since July 2021. And it's not necessarily for higher paying jobs, although inflation has has driven some of that. It's for the alignment of purpose. What is it that they're looking for from the company? And it starts with the CEO. If you go look at the statistics inside that Edelman Trust report, people are looking for purpose in their work. They're looking for social responsibility, and they're looking to the CEO for taking stances on core positions, whether it's the environment, whether it's human rights, whether it's women's rights, reproductive rights. People are no longer just willing to be a cog in the system. They want to be part of the engine. And I think that is super cool, but the whole notion of command and control, right? So we're roughly about the same age. The way in which we could lead 15 years ago, 20 years ago, would not fly today, right? It is more collaborative in nature. Digital disruption has absolutely changed the world. Christopher Lockhead, I don't know if you you follow him, but if you don't follow, you're different. He is a brilliant, brilliant guy. He's pointing this, this divide between digital natives and native analogs at about 35 years old. And the way in which I've experienced the world, even though I've always been technology forward, is very different than the way my kids are experiencing the world who have always had a tablet or a phone in their hand. And so native digitals, they, they would look at this and say, we're having a face-to-face meeting. I would never say that. I'd say we, we met over you know Zoom or the internet or whatever it might be. Yeah. And work, work is not a place you go to. It's something that you do. And so you start to see all of these transformations happening and the demands on leadership and how we lead i.e. we don't get to be face-to-face in the same space anymore. I have to lead differently. And so what's that mean? I have to invest in my people. I have to be more intentional. I have to be more consistent because I don't get the benefit of the doubt in the day-to-day interactions. And so um, is leadership changing? You bet your sweet Beppy. And I, I love this title and concept. Even down to remote work and hybrid work and people being returned to office and how that all is going to look and work in the future, um, it's very intriguing to me. I have a lot of really strong thoughts on how you can create competitive advantages for your company. And, you know, as I always say to people, I'm afraid of becoming the old white guy in the room, which eh. at 48, I'm starting to become the old white guy. And I recognize it. So I'm raising my hand and saying, I'm working really hard to stay relevant. Um, but, you know, the idea of return to office. Yeah, you need to have face-to-face time. And there's really important times that you need collaboration that you can't rec- recreate you know, on, on a virtual call. However, we can do work and we've proven that we can do work no matter where you are in the world. I've used remote workforces for nearly 20 years and I've done it successfully. I know that it works. Is it a little bit different? Yes. Maybe is it harder? I don't know, but I know that it can be effective. And so if you're looking to create that compelling organization, you know, because sub 35 is the biggest uh, workforce inside the United States at this point in time. If you're post 35 years old, you know, we're, we're on the way out. We're the dinosaurs. And so I think there's massive opportunities for leaders to lead differently. And if you don't, I would argue that you're not going to be relevant. Yeah. And Jerry, that's what I actually say in my introduction too, that, you know, leaders are going from email to email, meeting to meeting, and they're not changing quick enough which means they run the uh-huh. risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. And I think that's really, really quite important for them to understand that. Going back to what you said about this, you know, what people are looking for the CEO to do as well, to have you know the different sort of points and things that they want to do, there's so many of them that are so quiet. 
that it's different. <laughs> and I think yep. that the thing here is that leaders do need to stand up, do need to say what they think, and don't go and do things based on what they people might think. Because if people think, you know, if, they, if they're hanging around and they're worried about what people might think, come on. That's not what we're wanting. We're wanting leaders to lead from the front, and I think it's really important. I love what you've been sharing as well about, you know, work is not something you go to. It's something that we do, and it's yes, yeah. uh, and COVID's just proven that, right? I mean, the number of times we, we were in my in my other roles, senior roles that I had, we were offshoring and from, you know, yes, yes. high-cost centers to low-cost centers, and I'm like, I was running that for Asia-Pacific Japan region, and, you know, the number of times, oh, we can't offshore that. Why is that? Oh, it's a piece of work that's confidential. We can't do that. Yeah, there might be some stuff that's government and we can't do it. The majority of things you could do, but they used it as an excuse. COVID just squashed all of that, didn't it? And, um, oh, well, we'll see where it goes going forward. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. You know, sometimes if you want to change the results, you have to change the constraints. And, you know, I'm sure it drives you batty too when people say, well, that's the way it's always been done. It's like, oh. Most dangerous words, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's absolutely horrible. And so um, if we could just get people into that mindset of if better is possible, then good is not good enough. Yep. And how do we continue to make that a virtuous cycle? Hence why I believe in, in learning organizations, because people continue to ask, how do we do this better? We don't rest on our laurels like B players will. They'll say, well, that's that's good enough. We're getting We're getting what it is that we're doing. And so, yeah, I think that's a, a really important piece of the puzzle. Well, I think it's a very, it reminds me of somebody who said to me once, 50% is a pass, 51 is too much work. And I'm like, what? That's mediocre, man. You've got to come on, get to strive. So I think what you're already saying here again is going back to that word curious. It's about being curious to get things get things done better and, and so forth. You know, you I mentioned think, a little I, bit earlier on. Let me just finish that because I, I think it's an important piece, which is why are you doing it? Uh-huh. Is it for the pass? Because if it's for the check mark, then that person is right. Their vision of the world is that was too much work. Yep. And yet I think this is part of what, what happens in education is good enough is good enough because it's passing. Whereas we should be teaching for mastery and not for passing. And so if you're if you're doing that test for mastery because it builds on other foundational principles, then that's super critical that you get to mastery. And 51 yep. is never good enough in that situation. And so you have to understand the why um, behind that, which is if it's mastery, then it's not good enough. If it's a checkbox, then it is. I, I don't know whether you have this in the States, but uh, here at the moment, if kids are playing sports and you've got two teams playing and one team is dominating so much and the score is really high, they stop counting. It is. That is like, wow. Mm, okay. But they stop, they stop games here. So like my daughter plays softball if they make it to, I think it's the third inning, because they only play five innings, and the score is more than 10 runs, that's enough. Yeah. And end of the game. And I always find this interesting. I coached youth soccer for a number of years at a, at a very competitive high level. Uh, I remember very specifically a match where we showed up to an away match, and the other team only had eight players. And I said to the coach, I will play you 8v8. And he said, what do you, what do you mean? That's crazy. And I said, well, no, because my goal, my why, is player development. I'm certain to win this match because it was a it was a humid hot humid night out, and I'm sure that my 13 players who were on the sidelines were going to outrun that team up and down the field, and we were going to win the match. But if I played him 11 v 8, I would have been up six nothing by halftime, and who wins in that? 
And so if the goal is winning, then yeah, I play him 11v8. If the goal is player development, then I play him 8v8. And so I think that comes back to what is the why? What is it that we're trying to do? And for me, it was player development. And everyone on my on my team knew that. My parents knew that. And otherwise, they would have said, you're crazy for playing them 8v8. But my, my parents say, oh, it's player development. And by the way, when your players develop faster than the other teams, they win more often too. Exactly. So that's that's a different mindset, right? That's that's a mindset yep. of we're here to develop others. We've, we've got a bigger vision here. We've got the mission, as you called it before. That's where we're going, which is really important. Now, Jerry, you and I are living in a world by whereby things are getting faster and faster, right? Technology, exactly. data, social, all those things. What makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? Slowing down. Slowing down. Being more considered. I, I think, I don't know. Fast is the new slow. Slow is smooth. I was just listening to Chris Fussell and Stanley McChrystal, who were you know Navy SEAL and, and the head of the Iraq War. And they were talking about when you can, when your adrenaline is moving and the world is moving really fast, it's easy to make unconsidered decisions. Uh-huh. And so being able to slow down, literally like slow your adrenaline down, like be in a meditative state, do all the work so that you can stay centered and make good decisions, which is only possible if you know why you're doing it, right? Here's, here's where we're going, the impact and our values, how we make those decisions it's easy to get sucked up and spit out in technology. And so I would tell you, slow down and make sure that you are very focused in on conscious intentions of here's the things that we're going to go do and be okay because you know this as well as I do. It's easy to have shiny objects show up and to start chasing them like that. And I have found that um, the success that I've been able to help create is because we are focused and disciplined and we are ruthless about how we deploy our resources to create success. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Fantastic. Too many distractions. There's a lot of noise out there. Easily trip you up. And, love, and I love it. Slow down. Be more considered. Thank Slow you. down. I think that's really great. Very, very good. Now, you and I have been talking about leadership and, and about leaders and so forth. We have to change lens and now talk about the employee and get it there from their perspective. Um, what are your thoughts on has employees' expectations of leaders changed? For sure. I think not only employees, but also consumers. People are voting with their wallets. They're voting by saying, I no longer identify with this company where the decisions that they're making are not in alignment with who I am or who I want to be. And so therefore, I'm going to trade teams to do that. I think, again, COVID, we knew this for a long time. 75% of people never really liked their job survey after survey told us that. Then we sent everyone home and said, go spend time with your family, hang out, have lots of considered time. And people just said, is this all there is? Is this, is this everything? And I think people now came back and said, no, no, no. I want to make sure that I have that, that integration, that work life integration. And you know, the story I tell, I have a friend, he's able to work for home from home on Fridays. And he said, you know what I do with my lunch hour? I don't go to lunch. I do all the lawn work, which I'm able to get done in an hour, and it gives me three hours of time back with my two sons. That is the greatest thing that we can do for our people, because do you think he's a more energized, more focused employee? Absolutely he is. And do I give a shit where he is or when he does his work? No, I'm more interested in the impact that he's going to make on the organization. And that's the piece where I think employees are thinking about, huh? Does this company set me up for success? 
Am I aligned with how they do work, not just the work that they do or why they do it? And I think that's a piece that is unresolved, right? Whether we go hybrid, remote, back into person. Um, you know, I shared with you when we were doing the free roll. You know, my family, we sold our house in October 2020. We traveled the country and followed the rules wherever we went. But during that time, my wife got a promotion to a VP of sales role, and I continued to grow my my business. And so you can do it. It's just a matter of like, are you willing to make the trade of what it cost to be paid the price of freedom and responsibility and all of those pieces? And so, yes, I do think companies, the expectations from employees on companies have absolutely changed. And if you're not, again, curious and aware and asking questions, then I think you're missing the mark on the people that you serve, which again, are your clients and your internal clients, which are your employees. Yeah. And I you said it before as well about consumers. I think it's consumers. I think it even is political. Is it? Whatever it is, if you're not in tune with people around you or what consumers are wanting or what your employees are wanting, um, then they're, they're going to vote with your wallet. They're going to vote with their feet. They're going to go. I'm, I'm really quite intrigued at the moment. You know, the last sort of six months, people are going, oh, there's the great resignation or year, whatever, how long it's been, and we That's can't right. find people. When I go, well, I think I know the problem. What is it? Go look in the mirror. And they go, what? They go, Yeah. From a leader's perspective, how are you handling people? How are you treating them? What are you doing? Where are you going? And they're like, no, it can't be that easy. <laughs> what do you mean it can't be that easy or simple? Of course it is. And it's like, oh, and I, you know, there are people who who are not getting it and they have to understand this, but they, they will over time. So well, we'll you see know, where you it know, goes. You know, how the, you know how they will? They'll be marginalized themselves and pushed out, right? And, Absolutely. and it's funny. I was chuckling because I, I have a leadership course that I, that I do, I call it the leadership gap because there's a gap in leadership in the country. And the first part of that course is about um, the promises that I'm going to make as a leader for how I'm going to show up and what you can expect from me, right? Because once once we get that clarity inside the business, now we can start to create curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And you unlock a whole different world of results that are available to you. Now, I was just talking to another leader this morning it's funny because it's, it's still up on my, my notepad is, are you a leader worth following? And that's one of the questions that I ask people. Like if you, if you step back right now, are you a leader worth following? That is a ruthless conversation that you have to have with yourself. But if you are truly interested in being a great leader, you have to ask that of yourself and then start asking it of the people around you. Yeah. I think you'll be really surprised when people are honest with you, right? So sometimes I see these 360 results and it's like, yeah, well, this organization is not being truthful because the leader is tyrannical and they're afraid of what, if they really give the results, what that leader is going to do. And uh, I don't know. That's why I always come back to world-class relationships. You have to be fostering world-class relationships as you go through it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I really like what you're sharing there because, you know, if you're a leader that's worth following, well, then it's good. But some people are going to say, yeah, of course I am. Well, yes, but that's what you might think. But what's reality, right? And there's there's that side. And then actually understanding people too. But people being able to give the answer to that question in a safe way that they feel like they can open up and say things. I think it's really important that we do that. Okay, so if I get you to get your crystal ball out here now and talk about the future and think about that, where do you see your, where do you see leadership being in five years? I was about to say, where do you see yourself in five years? But what I mean was, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think we're going to continue to move into this place where we are more and more digital. And so remote work will be more and more prevalent. I think we've got to leverage technology, uh, which means that the demands on leaders 
to be clearer and more specific are going to be more inherent. And so I believe that, you know, I'll come back to it. I, love is your ultimate superpower. People who are coming from a place of compassionate leadership are going to be the people who are leading in the future. And, you know, sometimes people give me a knock, Dennis, about, oh, you know, love, that's such a soft value. And I tell people all the time, have you tried to love someone who's acting in unlovable ways? I don't know if you've tried to do that. That is flipping hard. And so I would argue with you that love is the hardest value because when people are doing things adverse to the mission or adverse to the values, the easy thing is just to say, like, you're off the ship, go. No, love means I bring them in. We have hard conversations. I tell them things that they need to hear, even though they may not want to hear it. And so I just believe that you're going to see a world that is kinder, kinder and gentler in the way in which we approach our people. And I think that is going to be, you know, it's going to be the next unlock on the greatest companies that we have. I look at Elon Musk, a tremendous business person, but I'm looking at some of the things that he's doing inside Twitter right now that people have to agree to work harder than they have ever worked, long, arduous hours, under enor enormous amounts of stress, and we need your answer by tomorrow, yes or no. I think that's a leader who is out of touch with what's happening in the world. And, you know, he's built cult-like cultures. Fantastic, right? Love Tesla, SpaceX, unbelievable. I mean, the visionary things that he's doing. And yet now he's coming in over top of an organization and trying to imbue his authoritarian approach. I'm going to be super interested to see how that story plays out in five years, because um, I don't think that story is going to play out well. No, and I don't think it's going to take five years either. I think it's going to be a lot quicker than that too, right? And, but you're right. I think he's more or less been sucked into that bit because of people out there, what's he going to do with it and so forth. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And I think it goes back to if you have a formula, if you have systems, process, something that works for you, go back to it. But be curious to understand what's going on. But it's been really, really interesting to think about that. Yeah, I Jerry, think the misstep is in those other places, he's built the organization and now he's coming in over top. He doesn't have equity in the relationships. Yeah. And so now, now it's an authoritarian as opposed to we're all in this together in disruption. And so he's taking principles that he's learned and applying them to a different space, which I've had to learn as I've navigated multiple businesses. It doesn't always work the same. You know, there's exactly. certain principles, but you have to be super curious about how all of it comes together. And have the ability to be able to adapt, depending on the scenario, yes. the situation, what's going on here. Cool. Jerry, it's been yep. fascinating talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners are wanting to get a hold of you, where should they go? Um, the best place to come find me is at provenchaos.com, or I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. You can find me at Jerry McNamara on LinkedIn. Excellent. We'll put those in the show notes, listeners. Jerry, once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Leadership is Changing, a podcast. And um, yeah, it's been really great. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been uh, a super fun conversation. You're great at this. I do a number of these and not everyone's as good as you. So really great questions. Awesome. I thank you for that. So there you go, listeners. Be curious, understand and understand what the mission is. Go out there, be clearer, be more specific, but also have compassionate leadership. And once again, thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. 
Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.